Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Very Reasonable Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Long. With me, as always, my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, and podcasting associate, Jacob Gloth. How you doing today, Jacob? I am swell, Charles. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to pitch a brand new televisual series for our listeners to enjoy and imagine in our collective brain space. Are you ready to hear me pitch a show? I, I, you know, that's that's what I'm here for. A I'm show that has a title and, and characters and an ending planned. Ah, that is surprising. That's so much more than I normally do. Usually I just walk in here half cocked. I don't even like test the microphone. Usually it's not even plugged in and I just start talking. That's just true. Start not even a lie. <laughs> not a word of a lie. <laughs> no lies detected taking a sip of my coffee so, so what do you have for us you have something exciting is it is it based on uh, a play is it based on um an obscure comic book character from the 40s this is based it's uh death of a salesman we did death of a salesman but, but we're making it into like a john wick style thing all right so oh. imagine death of a salesman but instead of a uh, fat middle-aged balding man who's slowly losing his marbles it's keanu reeves and he's all you know in his johnny silverhand like full regalia he's got the the robot arm he's got the cool sunglasses he's got the hair everything and he does a bunch of karate chops on his his sons who he's disappointed with because of their their lack of work ethic does that sound like a good show to you uh, it sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, right? The greatest show ever made. But that's not what I've got today. We have a steampunk adventure show in a small Nordic island nation that has fallen into disrepair after decades of ice and snow that has stunted the growth of the country and its people. And this show is called The Unforgiven. All right. So we're going to do kind of an Indiana Jones meets road trip style show in a weird cyberpunk or not cyberpunk weird steampunk universe uh, and they're off this this very small island that's based off of an island that I was in in real life quite recently Greenland it's great I loved Greenland uh I'm I'm glad you did yeah uh and so I thought it was Iceland but yes it doesn't matter does it matter to uh, maybe to the people that live there. Well, you want to know besides that, no. About Iceland, Iceland has Iceland's like entire population is half the size of Glasgow's population. Seriously, I looked it up. It's fucking crazy. Uh, Iceland has so few people, and I really liked it. And I thought it was very pretty. And oh, there's a dog outside. And I want to go back. But the only reason that... We should do the podcast there, live from Iceland. Live from a volcano in Iceland as it's erupting. That's a good idea. Final episode, because we're both dead. Isn't that how you want the show to end? On a volcano? In a volcano with both of us dying. And I hope the only thing that survives the recording, they're going through the... um, like the explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only th- they're going through the, the the debris later, hundreds of years in advance, and all they find is an audio file on like a destroyed USB drive. That the only thing that works is that file, and they play it, and they can hear the podcast. Yes, 
That would be perfect. That would be. And it ends right before the explosion hits. Is like you're about to tell us something, and it just ends on a cliffhanger. See that if this podcast was a TV show, that would be the final episode of the TV show. That is this podcast. Fantastic, absolutely beautiful, poetic. Unlike this show, not poetic at, uh, at all. It's about trying to find treasure in a small Nordic nation in the steampunk universe. So our main character, her name is Genevieve Drix. She's a historian and archaeologist who has become obsessed with uncovering the lost treasure of Ragnar the Unforgiven. She is kind and thoughtful, but has a dark ambition that has caused her to push away everyone who has ever cared for her. Right? So that's our main character. She's a sweet young lady, but she is so obsessed with, like, finding this treasure and gaining the the career aspirations that she's worked so hard for that she's kind of alienated every human relationship she's ever developed with uh, another person that's, that's truly meaningful in exchange for relationships with people that she thinks will help her on her journey, right? Imagine... I'm thinking for this show, for this character, you have to cast young, but you gotta have some darkness in this character. I would say cast like a uh, uh, Jenna Ortega style uh, person. You know, she's sweet, she's nice, but she's got a little darkness to her that 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 colors her performance in an interesting way, right? So that's Genevieve Drix. Then we have Captain Romero Dumont. A hard-drinking, hard-fighting sea captain who has sailed to every place in the world twice. A cynic through and through who is oftentimes proven right, but will eventually find himself fighting for the weak for the possibility of a better world. Right? So that's our, our second main character. He's he's a, yeah. a hard man, but he, maybe he, he learns a lesson. Maybe everybody has character arcs in this show. Like a real television show. What? Yeah. No. And if you couldn't tell from his name, Captain Romero Dumont, I was just naming characters uh, based off of things that I have in front of me. And so I... You never do that. I was... That's <laughs> crazy. I was thinking about the, like, the Dawn of the Dead. And so I was like, Romero, George A. Romero. So that's how we got the first name. And I have a cup from Cafe Dumont in front of me. That's, Yeah. Congratulations. Also, Genevieve Drix. Never reveal your secrets, Charlie. There's a Jenny, uh, Jimi Hendrix magician's game. picture in front of me. So, yeah. And our last uh, main character, certainly not least, Garm. A local who craves the outside world, but now works as a guide for tourists, but decides to join Genevieve in exchange for a job off the island. He is loyal to his friends and to his goals, but he cares little for his home culture, uh, interested instead in finding out about the rest of the world, right? And so he's, you know, mm. he's kind of a, a little bit of a, a bumbler, right? He's not the brightest guy in the world, but he's a hardworking dude who, who really is interested. He wants to go out and explore the world. He doesn't like just being stuck on this sad, backwards Nordic island. That's not, this is just for the, the sake of the story. I'm making it that way. That's not what Iceland was like. Iceland was very nice uh, and not sad or backwards. Uh, just in case we have are any Icelandic listeners. That's, that's just, just covering my ass if I ever move there. Okay. Yeah. 
So, and he's kind of a, he's kind of the muscle, right? So Genevieve, she's the brains. Uh, Captain Dumont, he's the experienced. And, and Garum is the muscle, right? So those are our three main characters. And they're going to be playing off one another as they travel across the island searching for this treasure, the lost treasure of Ragnar the Unforgiven, a, you know, horrible pirate Viking sort of a guy who killed thousands and thousands of people and hid his treasure somewhere along the island, but have been unable to find it thus far, right? Mm -hmm. And so now I'm going to give you the, the little setup of the world. So 70 years ago, a mysterious vessel crashed into London, killing thousands, but containing containing wondrous technology that has advanced transportation, military, academic, and cataloging technology centuries in only a few short decades. Now the world stands on the brink of war as nations host petty squabbles over resources they don't really need in order to stoke the fires of conflict. A world in disrepair and on the edge of destruction won't stop our intrepid heroes from searching for Viking treasure and the fame that will follow, right? So this is this is how we're setting up the steampunkiness of this universe. Because usually in steampunk yeah. stuff, they don't really explain how society, like, move forward in technology so quickly, right? They just kind of say, yeah, it just they just did. But I'm like, that's not super interesting. Aliens, that's how they did it in this universe, right? Just imagine fucking Superman's pod no Superman in it, but full of, like, iPhones, landed in the middle of London and, like, just blew it up, turned it into, like, a nuke, basically. And moved technology forward really, really quickly. So, basically, you know, it's the 1800s, but we're at a point in time in which we're basically sort of in the 80s, technologically. 80s and 90s technologically and socially we're in like the 1930s almost we're about to go into a world war but way earlier than we should have right and that's our world these are our characters imagine it's still a regular steampunk universe there's still like everything's made out of brass and copper you know all sorts of fun stuff but there's a, the occasional led and there's like other stuff that you wouldn't truly expect to see in a steampunk universe like there's an internet uh, there's an uh international information web right just basically what they call the internet but they don't call it the internet oh. and it's like you don't have it's terminals you you connect to a terminal it doesn't really have keyboards it's more like writing and then you scan it right and then you send it but there is like this primitive form of the internet and so our characters are able to maintain conversations across you know continents right but the thing about the island which is the only name it's given because the people who live on the island didn't know other people existed up until a few hundred years ago right they had no idea that there were other people out there and so they didn't think to come up with a name for the island they lived on they just call it the island right they just called the the one city on this island the city and so it, everything's kind of named very plainly. And these, these people, the islanders, have uh, sort of developed a xenophobia. They're not about, they don't like the outside world. They're not into this technology. It's kind of affecting the way that they live and their culture. And the, they're getting lots of tourists who come to see the sites 
but they don't really like the tourists, but they need them for money and trade, you know. But the islanders are very much a closed off people. They don't want anything to do with uh, the outside world. And they're all taught as they yeah. were from a very young age that the outside world is evil. But Garum is kind of, he's, he's not into that idea as much. You know, and I haven't really come up with a tragic backstory for him. Maybe he had a tragic backstory. Maybe he didn't. Maybe his mom is like an, uh, an outsider and his dad is an islander. Right, and so he's got like kind of that like of both worlds sort of a of a thing going on. But he could just be a regular guy. Just both his parents are islanders, but he's more into he wants to know. He's interested in the outside world. And so he got a job as a tourist uh, guide, but he doesn't really like it because he has to deal with just the dumbest fucking people. Because that's all tourists are stupid. Just. I, I'm saying this as a proud tourist. We're du- we're dumb people. We have to be, because only dumb people want to put themselves in situations that are really uncomfortable for the sake of learning. But he has to deal with dumb people, and he's just so sick of it. And so he he's you know looking for a way out, and then Drix arrives. So I'm gonna read to you. I'm gonna we're gonna go over the pi- the pilot, and then we're gonna go and talk about the. Uh, the full series and what's what's going on throughout the, the whole show. Because there's going to be twists and turns. Like I said, it is a road trip show at the end of the day. And so you can't really just have one goal being the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if I stumble on reading any of this. This is the first pitch I've written fully in cursive. And so it there, w- there will be a little bit of a... I really hope you can't even read the first word. Like, it's just terrible. Uh... You've gotta you gotta come up with everything on the fly because you can't read your own handwriting. That would be Listen, I'll be honest with you, it's not the first time it happened, probably won't be the last time it's happened. I've done that before more than once. What can I say? Uh I like to play it fast and loose. A woman stares out at the flo- at the fog cloaked island. Blood red sands frame the coast, and as it comes into view, a wall of islanders stare back at her. As the boat docks, Captain Dumont explains that the people who live here don't like outsiders. The world keeps moving forward, but the island, the island never changes. Genevieve is scared, but determined. And after a look of quiet reflection uh, and hesitation, she picks up her bags and walks confidently into town. Garum is showing tourists around the island. A look of disappointment across his face as the same questions are asked for the umpteenth time. He retires to a local bar and drinks the night away. That is until Genevieve barges in and begins asking for a guide. After a few minutes of being ignored, she begins to wave a wad of cash at the wrong characters, again demanding for a guide. But instead of ignoring her, they start to pay her mind. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, Garum, having nice. paid his tab, uh, grabs the cash and pulls her aside. The mercs back down, knowing that he is not someone to be messed with. Drix explains that she's on the search for the treasure of Ragnar the Unforgiven, that has been lost for centuries. Garum dismisses the treasure as a myth. But Genevieve explains that a new invention from the University of Budapest 
allows for the detection of a specific type of metal that the treasure was mostly made out of. And there is a massive spike towards the southern uh, point of the island. Jerem reluctantly agrees to the mission as long as she takes him off the island with him. Drix agrees, but on the condition that she can bring her research team. Captain Romero Dumont is in the middle of a bare-knuckle boxing match, and he is losing. Badly. Jerem and Genevieve walk into the match at as she continues to explain that he is one of the best seamen alive. He sailed the world over a dozen times and faced down things that would make a lesser man shriek in terror. So we've got this beautiful scene of them, like, walking through the match. You know, there's tons and tons of people, and she's, like, giving him this huge, epic, you know, build-up, like he's the coolest guy who's ever lived. He is then brutally beaten down into the, into the dirt. Garum is unimpressed with the display that Captain Dumas has made. After they're able to pick him up out of the dirt and sober him up, Dumas congratulates Genevieve for tricking some moron into being her guide. They end, then, you know, Genevieve and uh, Garum share a very meaningful glance at one another as he begins to reevaluate his decision to show them around. Uh, the island? Where was I? Oh, yeah. Then they all retire to a dingy inn. Genevieve dreams of the journey's success. Garum dreams of the outside world. And Captain Dumas dreams of drink and women. The next morning, they all set off onto their grand adventure. That's our pitch. That's our, that's our episode one. That's the whole thing? Okay, well, thank you for listening to the Very Little Pilots podcast. I'm, I'm Jake, your your co-host. Yeah, that's it. Oh, is that on it? No, so. it is. Come on, you were doing so good. Let's oh. cut this shit out. Let's go. We're done. Yeah, cut the fat. Let's go, man. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So that was that's the episode. That's the first episode. It's just introducing our characters and kind of giving our sort of dual perspectives that we're working with in the show of we're looking at the world from Gurm's perspective who he's very much like a realist he's like down in the dirt he's been here for years and he knows every inch of this island and the city and all of the scum that live here even though they're not in a city right now they're in they're in a very small town but there is a city in the island which will be important later and then we have uh, Genevieve's perspective, which is one of uh, of a much higher, you know, falutin ideas. She's she's all about adventure and exploring and learning about this this strange new place that she's never been to before, you know. And so that's kind of our two perspectives that we're working with. And then we have Captain Dumont, who is just. He's just a drunk, and he's just like a, a hard-fighting man, you know? Um, and I, I cast uh, Genevieve uh, with, um, what's her name? Wednesday Adams. What's it called? What's her name? Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega. There you go. I got it. So I feel like I, I kind of want to cast the other two characters before we get on to the rest of the show. Right? Okay. 
Um, give me an idea of what they're supposed, what they, well, you kind of imagine them as. And then I'll I'm kind of imagining Garm as being a big, tall, like, lanky sort of a dude. Like, have you ever seen the, the guy who plays um, Chewbacca in the, in the newer Star Wars movies? Peter Cushing? Or that's, that's the old not, one. That's not Peter. Peter Cushing is Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh yeah, that's who Peter. Uh, that's who Peter Cushing. It could be Peter Cushing though. He could. Yeah, play. he's tall would, and lanky. Yeah, bring him back from the dead. He'll play this guy, this young mm-hmm. man. When he was in his twenties or something. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm like resurrect man- Peter Cushing in his twenties. Look up a young. Uh, this is to the audience. Look up a young picture of Peter Cushing. Now I'm doing. I don't it actually too. know if there are young pictures of him. I'm looking pretty- it up because I've seen movies young. Peter Cushing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see him. I could see him doing it. He's he's looking a little too. Uh, he looks like a fancy boy, you know. He looks like he's he he's not a he's not a hard hard sort of uh, traveling guy. He's a little fancy lad. He probably oh, you know I you're you're totally wrong. You're totally wrong. He could definitely be a hard traveled guy. It's just the characters he's playing this. You just, you know, get some muck on his face. Yeah, get some muck on his face. Mess up his hair face. a little bit. This could be a, a tough... Tough, guy. scary dude. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we've resurrected Peter Cushing in his 20s to play this character. Um, or the guy who plays Chewbacca. Because that guy, I think, has a very good look for it. Because he's very tall and he's very muscular looking. Uh, he seems like a nice guy. But my casting for Captain Dumont, and this isn't 100%, but I think it gives the right kind of vibe, Jack Black. Jablinski. Interesting. I see, I'm not a big Jack Black fan as an actor, so I'm not totally behind it so far. Exactly, I, I know. I, I Jack Black, he's very good at playing Jack Black, but he's not very good at playing very many other characters besides Jack Black. So if you can think, oh, you know who I just thought of and I think would be really, really good? Benedict oh. Wong. Benedict Wong would be fucking awesome. I love Benedict Wong. Yeah, all Holy right. Shit. Benedict great, great choice. Yeah, all right, great. great. He should be in all of our shows. He should be. Guy. Cast him in everything. Benedict Wong's a fantastic yeah, actor. Yeah. Cast him in I want, everything. I want, I want to be the Christopher Nolan to Benedict Wong's, uh, like, uh, Tom Hardy? Michael Caine and, and Chris, his Michael Caine. Okay. Michael Caine's in, like, every Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. If you ever play, if you ever direct a Batman movie, Benedict Wong will play Alfred. He's 100% Alfred. <laughs> you know who Benedict Wong would be a really good choice to play in uh, a Batman? Hugo Strange. I just thought of that. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. I think he would be a very good Hugo Strange. Give him those little guys. I wouldn't put him there. He's. He, I feel like he's He's better as like a... I like him better as like a tougher kind of character mm-hmm. than a like a nerdy, shrivelly character, yeah. you know? Maybe. Who who would you cast him as then? Killer. Like if there's some sort of, I mean, I can't, I can't think of, but like he would be a great intimidating kind of, uh, like mastermind gangster type if he was a bad guy, but he's also be a decent Alfred, I think. Yeah, he would well. be a good Alfred. I, I was joking before, but you're right. He would make a very. He's good a good. Alfred. He's a great like over the comms guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like while Batman's out there, he'd be great at making little jokes and stuff. Yeah. 
Maybe cast him as Commissioner Gordon. I see that. I could see that, maybe. Give him a mustache. Yeah, it's him. I still like Alfred better. Yeah. I think Alfred's probably the best. Alfred was a random but good but perfect shout for him. I think he would be a decent Alfred. He probably needs to be a little older though. Yeah. I, I don't know how old he is right like now. I feel like he's in his fifties. Like, like he's not years. a young man. This is totally well, it depends underrated. Depends how old Alfred is supposed to be. Or like how you know what, what how old Batman's gonna be in this? You yeah. Know? He's got. You, if you're Alfred, you got to be in your seventies or something. Benedict Wong is fifty-two years old. All right, in 20 years, when I'm directing Batman, yep. The Batman 2. That's when. That's how long it's going to take. It's going to take so long. One. It's great. Robert Pattinson will be in a wheelchair. <laughs> Benedict Wong will be in, like, a hospital bed. You'll be like, that's, they're perfect. Perfect Alfred and Batman. <laughs> um, okay, we have to get back to this show. Uh, so... Obviously, we've just talked about them arriving on the island, and they do our into little introductory things and all that fun stuff. Uh, then our journey begins. They set off, right? Uh, Garam acquire, uh, acquires some horses and, like, maybe a carriage or something. Something to help them trans get, get from one side of the island to the other side of the island. And I don't know if you twigged, but I said the blood-red beaches. So in this universe volcanoes right instead of having black ash the ash is like a deep red blood color and so all the all oh. the the um beaches instead of uh having black sand like they do in iceland they have like deep red sand which i think is just a cool image you know yeah i like that too yeah, yeah that's cool and um the island right yes that they're on yeah Geographically, if you could explain it to me. I would say that it is a very, very small island in the northern... Like, I, you know where Iceland is on the map? Yeah. There, but, like, move it up probably another, like, 400 miles, like, north. Like, it's so cold. It's so inhospitable. And so all of the people who, like, are from there are pretty similarly cold and inhospitable. Because you have to be to live in this harsh environment you know yeah okay but um is it mountainous um i hadn't even thought about that but maybe what well, let's say it's one mountain because it, it's a volcanic island and so let's just say that yeah. the mountain in the center of the island is a volcano right Okay. A long dormant volcano, and it's not going to erupt in this show, obviously. But we just have kind of like um, in Morrowind, uh, just have this huge volcano looming over everything else. But it's all snow covered, so it's just lots of reds and whites. You know, that's kind of the the nature, right? Not mm-hmm. tons of animals, or not tons of plants. There are some animals that have evolved to live on this universe on this island you know sort of like foxes and and wolves and stuff you're not gonna find any sort of crazy animals but just think of like think of a dire wolf or think of like a a jackalope do you know what a jackalope is uh yeah you do it's an animal it's an animal looks like um it's a rabbit it's a rabbit well, it's with It's not horns. like exactly a rabbit, it's though. A, it's got like fucking it's horn. antler things. Yeah, it's great. It's, 
one of my favorite cryptids because it's stupid. It's a stupid cryptid. Um, I love them. So yeah, jackalopes. I, and I mentioned the ge- geographic thing because I was I was one because you're going with all these kind of these unique colors for this landscape. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say you could also do like salt flats, so you have that like, uh, you know, it's it's got that you know strange you know flat crack surface, but also when you you peel it out like when people are running like a horse is dashing across or anything mm-hmm. you know any sort of vehicle or something yeah you've got like the pink flying up yeah i like that i like that a lot maybe we could have a an area of the because it's a road trip so maybe there could be an area of the because that makes that makes a much better scene for the chase sequence that we're gonna have later in the show because our, our, our main characters, they're going to leave the town with the horses and they're going to encounter some of these dire wolves and the jackalopes and other shit like that. And then they're just, they're going to keep going through and they're going to be, you know, it's going to be more of an, a survival thing. Uh, there's not really going to be other people around. It's just going to be them against the elements. And they finally, they make their first stop, uh at a tourist destination basically like you're think of a a ski lodge or whatever and it's staffed by all of these like completely depressed locals and all of these like moron tourists are you know just wandering around spending way more money than they need to and uh garam is able to get like lodging there because he's he's good buddies with uh somebody who who runs it right and so that's our first night, af- like, our episode two is going to end with our two main characters, Gurm and uh, Genevieve, sharing a drink at the tourist bar, right? And they're going to be getting local prices uh, because Gurm is, is is helping her out. And they're just talking about their, their pasts and their histories. And we kind of get the impression that Gurm is an open book, whereas Genevieve pretends that she's an open book, but she's lying about a few things. You know, maybe we can get flashes of the past of her, like, you know, yelling at her, her partner, her significant other, her parents, her friends, you know, just, like, screaming and throwing things and, like, them not believing in her, believing her, you know, her goal to find this treasure and all this stuff. And so we kind of get the impression that she's going a little treasure mad. She's gone a little cuckoo bananas for, for gold and, and platinum and other fun metals that are in there. And then we, and don't worry, I'm getting to the action sequence. And then they go to sleep and wake up episode, the next episode, maybe, or could just a continuation of the first, of the second episode, right? They discover these caravans. So they, they leave the tourist destination. They discover these caravans along the roads that have been destroyed. And Garam is able to identify these destroyed caravans having been raided by the three-toe gang. Um, which has been a thorn in the side of the locals for the past couple of years. And it's uh, run by, you know, Three-Toe Monty, who is a frostbite victim. And so he only has three toes left and he he runs a gang, right? And so they decide, oh, we need to keep our, our wits about us and that sort of thing. But they keep on moving and they're, maybe we can say, we can have a line where Garam, like, explains, oh, we're going into the salt flats, you know, prepare yourself. Right, it's pretty, you know, this island's desolate and the salt flats are the most desolate part of this island. And they, you know, are riding along through the salt flats and they find this guy and he's just like standing in, in, the, in the road shivering, you know, and he needs help. 
And so Garam and Dumont both say, like, we shouldn't stop. This is a trap. This is a trick. You know, if we stop this guy, he's going to have a bunch of buddies show up out of nowhere uh, to attack us. And Genevieve says, no, we, you know, I'm running this and I'm not going to let just some guy freeze to death because you two are paranoid. Right. And so they stop and Genevieve, you know, gets the guy into the caravan, into their like, you know, carriage and he like she warms him up she gives him a blanket maybe pours him like uh, something hot to drink and uh he's like very thankful and all this stuff and after they ride for like five minutes the guy looks outside you know he you know does a signal maybe with his hand or maybe he nods or something and just dozens of dudes pop out of the snow they've been like they've covered themselves with these bright white blankets that keep them you know oh. out out of sight yeah. And the guy pulls out a gun and he like holds uh, Genevieve to the neck with a knife as he points the gun at, Cap- at Captain Dumont and Garm. And they're like, oh, God damn it, told you, Genevieve. And we can have a sort of a humorous conversation where Captain Dumont and Genevieve get into an argument like there isn't a man in, a, in the carriage with a gun. And you could tell it's all the whole time all of the dudes, the members of the three-toe gang, are like closing in you can see them just sort of in the background it's never called attention to but they're just like encircling this uh this you know carriage and you know after the con- their argument captain dumas like distracts the guy knocks him out throws him out the thing and fires a few rounds into the members of the three-toed gang uh and they start riding you know really hard and as they're riding, they see that they, they think they've left the three-toe gang behind, but they haven't, right? Three-toe gang, they had their horses also cloaked in these white blankets laying on the ground. They get them up, and they just start chasing them across the salt plains. And then we get that that good shot you were talking about of our characters, like, kicking up this pink dust as they're being chased by this wild horde of raiders who are also kicking up just mountains and mountains of pink dust. Sort of like The Last Jedi, you know? Your favorite film. Yep. And so we have our characters, they're riding across, they're riding through, and we get a, you know, it's a fun action sequence. Think a Mad Max Fury Road almost of our characters like getting up and Garam and Captain Dumas and Genevieve are like, fighting these guys off. Maybe Genevieve's got, like, a cool harpoon gun, right? Captain Dumas, he's an old-school, like, seaman, and so he's got, like, sword. He's got a sword, and he's sword-fighting guys on the top of the caravan, and he's laughing hysterically because he loves this sort of shit, and he's, like, got a bottle of booze in the other hand, and he's just, like, having a ball. Garam is, like, keeping track of the horses, and, like, he fires people, uh, fires a, a shotgun, knocks a guy off his horse, that sort of thing. But they eventually ride yeah. up a hill onto the side of the mountain. And as the fighting continues on the side of this mountain, they finally, they, you know, trigger an avalanche, right? Like one, like, super loud shotgun blast kills a guy, but triggers this avalanche. And we see our characters, like, riding as hard as they can away from the avalanche. But it's just, they're not going fast enough. And they get this wall of snow just chasing them along the side of the mountain until they're eventually, like, just enveloped and overcome. And all of the three-toed gang have also been, you know, they've been killed by this avalanche. 
but our crew are able to, uh, they're able to survive. You know, maybe all three of them are trapped underneath the snow inside of the, uh, inside of the, uh, caravan, inside the cabin, right? And that could, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's, like, a cool idea for sort of a bottle episode, is you put the, uh, cabin on its side, and so they can't sit in the seats or lay down or whatever. They have to lay on the side, on the glass or whatever. And they, you know, sort of build a fire and try and keep warm. You know, they're able to poke holes through the snow to let the smoke out. Uh, and then we can have our characters sort of bonding and, and growing together as people as they talk about their their past. And maybe we get a, more, a little bit more of Dumont, right? Talking about why he took this job, right? Like, he's, you know been working as a captain for years now he's got enough money he's doing this because he's never you know he's never explored this island you know and he he's one of these guys who his his whole goal in life isn't to make money or leave an impact even it's just to see everything that there is to see and so he's sort of you know talking about that and we get genevieve sort of again obfuscating her her goals really and how just how much she wants this treasure but you know dumas has been traveling with her long enough to be like, I can see that you're fucking lying. And I'm not going to push it now, but I know. I know you're lying. And eventually you're going to have to tell me and eventually you're going to have to tell him because you promised him a way off this fucking island. And if you fuck him over, he's never going to stop being pissed off about it. Like you got to, you know, you got to keep your word with him. And Garam, again, open book of a guy. He's a, he's not the brightest bulb in the bo- in the basket, but he's an open book, and that's that's nice to have uh, a guy who's just like kind of what you see is what you get. And so our our crew there's they go off they go uh, a little native, you know, surviving on the side of the the mountain. They eventually the snow thaws enough that they're able to like dig their way out, and they begin just a long walk to the local uh, camp. Basically, it's not even a town. It's kind of just like a place that travelers lodge for a night or two before moving on, right? And so our characters are working their way through that stuff. They're able to... Yeah, they're able to find this camp and they, you know, Garm has some hesitation, right? Because he's heard some weird things about these people, but he's... Like, just at this point in time, he's so exhausted that he's like, fine. You know, they all go to sleep. And again, because this is a a road trip adventure show written by Charles Long, the camp yeah. of mysterious strangers is a cult who are planning on sacrificing them to, uh, oh. to their dark snow god in order to guarantee another century of ice uh, to keep the cult alive or whatever. It's not, it's not, or whatever. That's the, that's the point. That's what they're doing. And so our characters, right, maybe we have Genevieve and Garm, like, they're captured at the same time, and they get dragged into the cult thing, into the, like, main sacrificial hall, and they see Captain Dumas, and he's, like, all pissed off, and he's tied up, hogtied, onto the ceiling, and they're like, we'll lower him down and slit his throat, and then we'll do you too, right? And so, of course... It's, a, it's an adventure show, so our characters wriggle their way out of their binds and able to set off a series of uh, a chain of events, right, sort of Pirates of the Caribbean style, that uh, 
lets Captain Dumont down. He hits the ground really hard. He's not he's not happy. Maybe he hits the ground on his stomach, throws up immediately into his rag that's in his mouth that's like been tied, and he's just he's just having such a shitty time. Cause he's injured, he's been beaten, he's still kinda drunk, and he's covered in vomit. But Garam and Genevieve like free him and like they all get to a ATV, basically. I don't know how else I would describe it besides steampunk ATV made out of alien okay. technology that our yeah. that this cult has kept, you know, hidden. They're like, We're, we've been tinkering with this. But our main characters see it, and they're like, finally, some, some good fucking news. And they just, you know, after killing a few cult members, they just peel their way out of there, right? And they're just like, pretty happy that they didn't die but you know they they gotta keep moving they still have a they still have a, a journey to get to and Captain Dumas is pretty pissed off but Genevieve like we've said before she's just so obsessed that she can't she can't stand the idea of stopping for even a minute to just like collect their bearings she's like we have to keep moving we have to keep moving and so they finally they keep moving they keep moving through the snow and through the ice and through the the dangerous uh, environment until they finally arrive at the city. And this is the only city on the island. And, like, if you compare it to, like, France or New York or London, it's not really anything. It's more comparable to, like, Cincinnati, Ohio, right? Like, in terms of actual real-world cities, uh... This is not very impressive, but for this island, right? This is the yeah. largest collection of people that they could ever imagine, you know? The building is like four mm -hmm. stories tall. That's the biggest building anyone's ever seen, right? And so they arrive in the city. Uh, what is it? They arrive at the city uh, and find it buried in corruption, crime, and apathy. And are immediately hired as transport officers for an unknown package that gains them the attention of a local mob that chases them across the city until they are captured and brought to the crime lord, right? And so that's our, that's kind of our adventure for this episode, our misadventure, we'll say, is that they are immediately, you know, contracted by one of Garam's, uh, like, contacts in to transport this, you know, highly confidential piece of equipment from one place to another place. Right? What the equipment is, is not important. Uh, it's just oh. the fact that they've been, ca they've been, uh, what do you call it? They've been contracted. And whoever's in charge of the crime in this city wants it. Right? Mm -hmm. So our whole episode is them being chased and them fighting their way through. And we ha we'll have a fun market sequence. Imagine the Indiana Jones market sequence in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but uh, replace sand with snow. Uh, and, and it's pretty, we'll do that. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun uh, market sequence. We'll have, like, they'll be going through apartment buildings, you know, maybe we'll have a rooftop chase until they're finally brought down and captured by this crime syndicate, right? Mm -hmm. Then they are brought to the crime lord. Marlo, the crime mistress, I just said crime like 18 times, uh, takes the package and offers them an, uh, offers it, them it back, right, in exchange 
for an assassination. Right? So she's like, we'll give you this package back. You know, I don't want it that bad. If you are able to kill this guy for me. Right? We'll give you the night to think it over. So they they are retired to the nicest place they've stayed since they left. Uh, the boat, basically. Is this, like, opulent hotel forward slash mansion sort of a situation uh all taken care of by marlo the crime mistress because i was so sick of having male crime lords i was like let's get a crime mistress let's get a crime lady in here um and so our our crew obviously they're they're happy to be comfortable and uh genevieve even considers committing this assassination like she's very heavily considering it because it will get her closer to her goal right marlo said that she would help them get to the uh the place that they're trying to get to to find the treasure the the beach of the unforgiven as we'll say um but they uh germ garam is so virulently against it. He's like, no. If you're doing this, I will not be a part of this. You'll have lost your crew, you know, and I'll tell the authorities, right? Like, I I will not be... I will not take part in a just a wanton murder for no other reason than because you think it's the best plan, right? Like, no. That's... I'm drawing the line here. And so after a lot of deliberation and arguing, they decide that they're not going to assassinate this guy. Uh, and they decide that in order to really, you know, to, to make this mission uh, a success and, like, fully get move forward, they have to steal the package back and finally transport it to where it needs to go, right? And this is where we're introducing our final character of the show. I'm not 100% sure about him simply because... He's, he gets introduced, and then he does a bad thing, you know? And so I'm kind of like, should I introduce him, or should I just let them steal it themselves? But you tell me. Where is his name? Let me find his name. Sorry, everyone. Um. Uh, oh, Lord. You can do it. I believe in you. I don't think I can. All right. Make it up uh, now. Ah. Bishamal. Bishamal is <laughs> Ishmael. Bishmael is a uh, he's a thief, right? And that's his whole thing. He's a foreign thief. He's French, maybe. Um, but he is ah, yeah, he is a uh, Hamage is a no good thief. There, I found his name. Uh, who sees the crew as his nearly final chance at survival, right? So he he's a, he's hired by the crew to help them steal this package back because he's, you know, the only thief really in this city who's not under the control of Marlo the crime mistress because he is a uh well, he's not a very good thief. Like in terms of his uh his skills, there are people who outrank him by quite a bit. And so he's hired and then we're going to try and kind of do the heist episode of this series in which they put together this, you know, elaborate heist. I haven't thought of the heist, obviously, because this is just an outline. Um, but they've uh, 
they're, they try and do the heist, they, you know, maybe we have like a descended on wires sort of a situation, and they fuck it up. Again, because none of them are trained thieves besides Hamage, who is not a very good trained thief. And so, this is just another s- sequence of them being chased out of town, but they thought ahead this time, and Captain Dumont was able to sabotage all of the other horses and all of the other carriages that, uh, Marlowe had in her stables, and so they are able to take uh, a couple of horses and get out of town pretty quickly without, you know, being uh, accosted by the crime mistress and her goons, her legion of goons. Having lost the package and without really any anything else to do, uh, Genevieve decides that a, she's bringing Hamage on, and maybe she's getting a little... She likes Hamage more than Garam at this point, because Hamage is a lot more willing to just do what she says, right? Like, he he has no real moral qualms. He's not arguing with her. He's not, like, talking about maintaining the, the, the sanctity of this island or, you know, keeping these people safe. And that could be something that we see Garam do throughout the show is she'll, like, say, you know, for example, let's just blow it up uh, to get somewhere. And Garam will not because this is, you know, a rock structure that stood here for 6,000 years. I'm not going to destroy it because it slightly inconveniences you, you know? Like, I... And we can see Garam sort of gaining more and more of an appreciation for his home culture as he sees, you know, somebody who's really truly of the outside world just not caring at all for it and i've been talking a lot and so we're gonna try and get towards the end of the show how's that sound does that sound good everyone uh yeah all right i mean you know i like it i'm enjoying it so far and so our our final episodes i'm, I'm assuming we'll do this as a two-parter is our characters arri- arriving at the unforgiven blood red beach right and maybe that's what our characters name it, maybe that's its name, right? And it's a beach that is filled with all sorts of, like, mystery and superstition from the locals. Nobody goes near it. And, like, while all of the, uh, all of the sands on this island are red, this is truly, truly, like, the deepest, darkest, most, like, bloody red that you can get, right? If... You know, the rest of the beach, the rest of the beaches on the island are what you get, like the color you get when you cut your hand. This is the color you get when you get stabbed in the stomach, right? This is like a deep, dark red, almost black, right? And our characters arrive and they're excited. And so they are able to find this enormous cave, right? Hidden along the side of the, uh, on the sides of the beach, they find this enormous cave whose walls and entranceway are just covered, decorated with the bones of former adventurers and of the crew of Ragnar the Unforgiven, right? Because he was a vicious pirate Viking who uh, charged his crew with guarding his treasure until the end of time. And he did this by killing all of them and stringing their bones up as a reminder to keep away from his treasure. And everyone's pretty hesitant about doing this, but uh, Genevieve pushes forward and she, you know, 
charges ahead and, and, you know, she just starts, like, going through and she's, like, reading through the, uh, the inscriptions on the walls, which are written in an ancient tongue that she's able to translate. And she's able to, like, start disarming traps and just descending deeper and deeper into this, like, horrible catacomb of a, of a cave. And as she's descending, as our crew is descending, we see two separate groups arrive at the island. One led by Marlo, the crime mistress, right? And imagine she's in like this massive, opulent, beautiful caravan with dozens and dozens of highly trained, highly, you know, armored guards and these beautiful white horses and all this stuff, right? And she arrives at the same time as the three-toe gang arrives, led by, uh, what was the name I gave the guy? I can't remember. Uh, Marion Three-Toe. No, that was, that was, that was a different guy. Marion <laughs> yeah. Three-Toe. And this is like sort of the meeting of the two criminal masterminds of this island. One of which is obviously she's very wealthy and she's more of a mobster. Whereas we get uh, Ma- uh, Marion Three-Toe and he's more of like a of a raider, of a marauder, you know, sort of like a train robbing kind of a guy to like a little bit more redneck style. They all arrive on their horses. And at first there is going to be like a conflict between these two rival, not even rival, two uh, criminal organizations, but they decide that they're both interested in hunting down and murdering every one of these um, Drix funded adventurers. And so they're going to do that first, and they decide to team up. Oh. And that's how the part one ends, with them like shaking hands and deciding to team up. Part two, our characters, our main characters, are descending deeper and deeper into this caves. They're disarming all the traps, they're making sure that everything's okay, right? And they're getting through, and all of them are surviving. Maybe there's like a couple of close calls, like arrows firing out, missing people very closely to the, like, they just barely, you know miss them or maybe it like cuts the side of your head or something but it doesn't kill you and uh as they descend further and further uh literally Genevieve descends further and further metaphorically into this sort of like a madness state this obsessive state in which she's not even concerned about the safety of her men or her own safety she's only concerned about getting to this treasure right so they descend further and further until they finally arrive at this massive door. Huge door, probably 30 feet tall, made out of this metal that is making her detector, right? I said that she had a detector to find the very specific kind of metal. It's making the detector go crazy. Turns out that this door is made of this metal, and it is a metal that is almost entirely unable to be destroyed or, you know, wrecked, it it needs to be picked. Like, the lock needs to be picked in order to get this metal open, right? And as they're trying to figure out what they're doing, what the uh, trick is, how can they get through this door, right? Uh, Our two antagonists arrive. Marlo and the three-toe gang arrive. And you can tell there's a sizable fewer number of them than there were at the front, and that's because... They've also been descending this cavern and dealing with the traps, but they don't have, like, an expert historian archaeologist with them. They're just, like, bumbling through, 
people are dying and there's nothing they can really do about it. And so they finally arrive and that's when, dun dun dun, Hamage, our shitty thief, turns around and pulls a gun onto Genevieve and Garam, right? Turns out he's been a double agent this whole time. He messed up the heist on purpose and has been traveling with the uh, crew because Marlo knew that they weren't going to commit this assassination. She knew that they were going to pussy out, right? And so she needed a man on the inside. And so he gives uh, all of the information that he has, right? Hamage finally, you know, he reveals his true colors and Drix, you know, under duress, translates the final uh, question on the door, the final, like, clue as to get uh, in. And she's able to figure out that the door demands a human sacrifice, right? Demands blood in order to open. And without even a second thought, Marlo blasts Hamage's face off and his dead body slumps onto this massive door. And as the blood soaks into the dirt and into the door itself, the eyes of uh, these two skulls that have been adorned on the door begin to glow a bright red and the door creaks open, right? That's our... All of our characters go in. Marlo and the three-toe gang burst in with our three main characters in chains and shackles tied up behind them, right? And they discovered this massive, massive, like, hoard of gold. Like, may as well be a dragon's hoard. There's just so much money and gems and jewelry and books and ever like everything this is everything Genevieve wanted and more right this is like absolute jackpot if she is like credited with discovering this she will be a legend in her fields and she'll have like her career will be made by this right everybody's super impressed right and that's when Marlo and the three-toed gang they start to argue and bicker a little bit they're not they're not super you know they're not, like, angry at each other yet, but it's like, well, we get 50, 50, 50, 50, really? You think you get 50% of this? I'm the man, I'm the person who killed my own man to open the door. I'm the one who found them, right? My men died trying to get us down here, and you think you deserve the same as me? Really, right? And so we kind of get a little bit of an argument between the three-toe gang and the crime mistress. And as this argument is happening, Captain Dumas is able to pick the locks on his shackles and begins to work on Garam's, right? And he undoes Genevieve's leg shackles, so she's able to run away and escape if need be, but he chooses to leave her hands bound because right now he's not sure he can trust her, right? Because while Garam and uh, Captain Dumont were were unhappy and saddened and, like, surprised, at uh, Hamage's death, even if he did betray them, right? Because he had, like, been helpful and useful and friendly to them thus far. Genevieve, she just kind of didn't register at all, like, what had happened. Uh, she just, like, fully just didn't care, unblinking, just watched this man die and just was unaffected by it. And so, Garam and Dumont, right, kind of, they get ready to figure out a way out of here. They pretend that they're still shackled, but they're not, and they're ready to, like, escape, right? And just as they, you know, try and start putting together a plan, the three-toe gang and the crime mistress begin to fire at each other. 
blam, blam, like dozens and dozens of criminals just shooting at each other in this big, massive gold horde. And they fire at each other, and there's blood, and there's death. And one of them, it doesn't matter who, manages to knock one of the adornments off of the wall. And that causes a chain reaction that begins to allow this entire place to crumble. Crumble into nothing, right? And all of our characters are like, uh, scared and surprised, and they all start trying to figure out a way out of there. Captain Dumas and Gurm start fighting their way through, and they blast people, and they shoot guys, and all this stuff, and they're running through. Meanwhile, Genevieve grabs one tome out of the thousands of books and gold. She grabs one tome, stuffs it into her jacket pocket, and then starts following them. And she's running, and she's dodging all the traps, and there's also, like, there's criminals following her, and they're following all of them, trying to shoot them, but also try to escape, and so they're, it's like this big, fun, like, action sequence, and it finally ends with them getting out of the, you know, front of the cavern. First Genevieve goes, then Gurm, and then as the cavern collapses, Captain Dumas manages to just slip halfway through the doorway, but the rest of it falls on top of him, right? And so Genevieve, right, having seen one of her only friends, like, crushed under these rocks, like, she falls back into, like, her regular human, you know, emotions, and she, like, begins weeping and, like, begging for him to come back and please don't leave her, like, all this stuff, you know, and she realizes now, you know, what what a fool she's been and all this stuff, and we see, you know, that's our final shot as her weeping over Captain Dumas' body as uh, we, you know, fade to black, zoom out, fade to black with Garam putting his hand on her shoulder and that sort of thing. Our epilogue is Genevieve and Garam riding on a boat, right? Genevieve is poring over this tome that she has, this ancient-looking tome, and she closes it, and we see the cover is, uh, like, Ragnar the Unforgiven's map of hidden treasures or whatever. We'll come up with a better title for the book, whatever it is. The important part is this is basically a map listing all of the places that Ragnar has hidden his gold throughout his adventures, right? So, turns out that this wasn't the only dragon's horde he had. He has other dragon hordes all over the planet, right? And so Gurm and Genevieve Ah. are, like, talking and they're chatting and they're sailing away from the island and Gurm finally gives it one, like, meaningful glance back at the island and he looks ahead into his new life. And we get happy, you know? We're we're a little sad because Captain Dumont died, but we've got this kind of, like, excited look for the future. And then we hear one distinctive step, and then we hear a knock of wood on wood as Captain Dumas is revealed to have lost what? a leg, and he's got a peg leg now, but he's still a hard-drinking, hard-fighting pirate seaman, right? Yeah, and, that's and he the... grabs the book from her and says, don't touch my fucking book. And then Yeah, they... <laughs> there you go, and that's the Don't end play. of the show. The Unforgiven. I didn't Boom. expect that. I thought he was dead. Yeah, me too. And I was right, and I was like, eh, you too. No. I, I hope... Oh, oh, okay, when you're writing it. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting him to die by the end, but I was like, you know what? No, everybody lives. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. But that's my show, The Unforgiven. That'd be, you know, if, 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 you, uh, if you get confirmed for season two before mm-hmm. um, they finish the show, you should have that. It's instead, the first scene of season two is 
Captain Dumas. Him grabbing the fucking on, book. Yeah, don't touch my fucking book. Stepping on the deck, grabs the book. Yeah, I like that. Um, but yeah, that's that's the show I've written. Uh, I feel like it's pretty fun. It's not setting the world on fire or anything, but I think it's a fun adventure uh, show. Set in a cool. I liked it. It was pretty different universe. than um, some of your other ones. I mean, road, road trips a common thing that we we both like doing, but this one was very different and like the sort of maybe kind of feel like national treasure, but not at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I I think it's a it's a fun little show, fun little adventure show. What was the uh, the title one last time? The Unforgiven. The Unforgiven. You heard it here first. And last. The Unforgiven, everybody. Benedict Wong, uh, Wednesday Adams, and Chewbacca. Yeah. Yeah. And Ortega and Benedict Wong. A combo that no one thought they needed. No one thought they would exist, but it should. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Very Reasonable Pilots podcast. I've been your host, Charles. Along with me has always been my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, and podcasting associate, Jacob Gloth. If you like what you heard here and you want to hear more, please give us a like, a follow, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog, tell your cat. And remember, we will be here next week with a brand new television series for you to imagine and enjoy, hopefully on time this time. Thank you all, and have a good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.